everybody. You're listening to Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horvath. Before we get started on this week's episode, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to chattingwithcandace.com and sign up for our Patreon account. You get early access to episodes, bonus content, live AMAs, all that good stuff. You can also just rate and review this podcast, share it with a buddy. It helps us out a ton. I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Keith Wagner to the podcast. Dr. Keith has his PhD in psychology. He's a marriage and family therapist. He's trained with the Navy SEALs. He's worked with Tony Robbins as a results coach for the last 10 years. He's an owner of a nonprofit that helps end child and human trafficking. I will include the link in the show notes. If you want to support his nonprofit, you can just go to that website. It's justiceventures.org and in the little caption you can put ORC, O-R-C, so they know where the money is going. We'll get into those details towards the end of the podcast. Just a heads up, we do talk about some really heavy things towards the end. I think it's very important and I'm really happy to bring awareness to the issue. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Dr. Keith. All right. Well, Coach Keith, thank you for joining me on this Saturday morning. Thanks, Candice. It's so great to be here. So I always like to start with having the guests that give them themselves like a little bit of an intro. So if you want to like kind of introduce yourself to our listeners and your background and how you kind of got started as a coach. Sure. Well, I'm a psychologist and I came up through the world of academia. And then I was staying up late one night trying to avoid doing a paper that I was due for one of my doctoral programs. And I came across this guy named Tony Robbins on the Home Shopping Network. I was like, whoa, who's this guy? And so I stopped on his page and, you know, he was just saying all these great things that I think, you know, are just so relevant about life and depression and, and how a lot of times we get that wrong in the world of psychology. And so my ears perked up and I thought, whoa, listen to this guy. And uh, he had some great things to say. And so right then I bought the product was like this 30-day cassette tape program, the original personal power program. And I loved it. Learned just a whole new depth and way of applying even some of the things I was learning. And uh, the patients in my clinicals were getting better. And I was applying some of the stuff that I learned from Tony and his cassettes. And I talked to, you know, my professors came to me like, Keith, you're doing fantastic. Where are you getting this stuff? And can you imagine what they thought when I told them I bought a box set from this guy on the Home Shopping Network? They were probably like, stop, don't do that. <laughs> You're so right. Yeah, they were just like, what? What are you talking about? I mean, they really got mad at me. They're like, you know, you're discrediting our program. And I said, hey, guys, just please give Tony a chance. Listen to him. So I gave them the 30-day cassette program, and they fell in love with him, too. In fact, it helped change kind of the course of the curriculum of some of the stuff they were teaching. So, yeah, that's how I got into the world of coaching. I haven't looked back since. So you still work with Tony Robbins and his company. So I, we can't like skip over that because the listeners would like go crazy. So I'm sure they are fascinated to know, like, how did you go from buying his cassette to actually like working with him, working for his company? Like, what is that like? Because to me, like, I've never met him. Eric's been in the same room with him, my husband, one time. And I'm like, that man just seems like larger than life. So I know people are just so curious. Like, what is that like working with him? Oh, it's great. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, a, a serial entrepreneur, you know, help run actually parts of nine companies now. And so I don't have to work for the money. I am associated still with Tony because of Tony Robbins. I mean, he mm-hmm. really is the real deal. The pioneer and the best of all of us. And I'm not trying to create a Tony commercial. It's just Tony, <laughs> Tony is awesome. 
And I learned so much. You know, I always believe in putting yourself around people you learn from. You never stop learning. You never stop growing. And Tony is really great. And so my journey was, you know, I was a clinical psychologist working at a forensic state hospital in Texas. I mean, you know, people who were found not guilty because of reasons of insanity. And I was so fascinated. I always have been about human behavior and, you know, how people get to certain places in their life. And I, at one time, shared the stage with Tony in San Diego back in the early 90s, talking about leadership, more of like from a psychologist standpoint. And I met one of his uh, major guys. He said, hey, you know, you should think about becoming a coach. And so they all gave me a call and Tony said, hey, come aboard. And so uh, that was been <laughs> about 10 years ago. And so I've been on uh, one of his coaches, one of his platinum level coaches ever since then. And so, I mean, it's a great organization. So were you always like interested in like the forensic side of psychology? Because we'll get a little bit more into like, you have a vast background. Like we could spend an entire episode just talking about like your different specialties, but you've worked with like, what was it? The tactical canine unit and you have like a black belt and you've worked with the Navy SEALs and the list goes on and on. So were you kind of like always interested in like, I guess writing wrongs too? Cause like, you know, there's like the psychology part where it's like helping people, but then there's also some people that have like a sense of duty and yeah. that's kind of what I'm like seeing with your very large resume. <laughs> yeah. You know, early on, you know, I grew up with uh, an abusive alcoholic father. Mm -hmm. So it taught me early on, wait a minute, you know, there are injustices in life. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Candace, that I'm thinking about it, I mean, you know, that was, that was a really good question. I, I think that, you know, that really was a big driver for me mm -hmm. is just to learn, you know, what makes people tick. Because when you grow up in a very tense, abusive home, you can typically go one of two ways. You can either get beaten down by it and then you'll just go inward. And that happens so much to people who are suffering or you can rise above it. Mm -hmm. And thank God, you know, I was able to be put in front of a lot of good people who taught me, who mentored me to help me rise above. But mm -hmm. I learned early on how to anticipate my dad's moods, how to kind of read what was going on. And that created just this innate curiosity. And I can remember even in high school, I was kind of a peacemaker. You know, I'd come up on fights and I'm like, wait a minute, guys, there's a better way to solve this. And, you know, people being picked on and bullied. And, you know, I was thank God I was always had kind of that bent in me where I wanted to be an advocate for people. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot of people with psychology background. So I only have my BA and there's not like a lot you can do with it. It was just basically like I paid a lot of money to learn some cool stuff, but I had a pretty similar background where there was just like a kind of toxic home environment. Mm -hmm. And with my siblings, you can kind of see like both directions that it went. Like I'm pretty yeah. proud of like the life that I've like crafted and I have sure. like, you know, really beautiful family and I am an entrepreneur. Like I kind of like, I righted a lot of wrongs, if you will. And then a couple of my siblings might not have taken that path. Mm. Do you think that part of that is like a biological like underlying factor? Or do you think it's just maybe exposure to different like groups? Like I obviously had different friends than, you know, say one of my siblings. So maybe like that impacted my path or it's like a combination. Yeah, I'd say definitely both. It's the old nature versus nurture mm -hmm. idea in psychology. And I mean, you know, research shows us it's got to be both. Mm -hmm. You can take twins, even identical twins in the same environment. And let's just pretend it's a beautiful, wonderful environment. And, you know, they grow up differently. Mm -hmm. And um, my personal belief system, if I can share that, mm -hmm. is that I think there's also, you know, kind of a calling on people's lives. Mm -hmm. uh, more of a spiritual component to that as well. And so, for instance, for you, for you to be able to rise up, you know, really, really claim maybe your pathway, I think it has something to do with really all three of those components mm -hmm. that, maybe, you know, you've got a calling on your life to be a leader 
and you've mm-hmm. answered that call. Yeah, I'm a really big believer too in like paths and like destiny, if you will. But I know some people like aren't into that. But there's like certain things that I find you can't really explain. Like there is like a missing link, and for me, that's like where spirituality comes in. And I feel like when you start making like what I say, like are like the right decisions or like that kind of are, have you centered on that path is when everything kind of just starts to like manifest and you're like, how did that happen? How did I make that connection? And it's because like everything's telling you like you're doing the right thing versus like doing the wrong thing. That's right. And see, that's so important, you know, and we have a choice in any moment to receive confirmation of taking the next right steps Mm -hmm. or not. I mean, the power of focus is so important. And so, you know, a part of your own decision-making process, I would, you know, my imagination tells me is that you have taken things as an opportunity to step up and to make good decisions and to be powerful, whereas someone else would make a different decision. And focus has so much to do with that, what you do with it in the moment. And finding purpose, like Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. I love that book. Isn't that a great one? Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about this guy who was thrust in this environment of the worst place. I mean, hell on earth, Auschwitz. Can you imagine? No. See this entire family murdered before his eyes, but he mm-hmm. rose up. You know, he talks about, it's all about purpose, giving something a meaning. And that's one of the greatest lessons Tony Robbins has helped teach me, is that you know, nothing has meaning except the meaning we give it. In Mm -hmm. any moment, we have an opportunity to give something a beautiful, powerful meaning. And that's the big difference between those who succeed and those who don't. So I probably spend way too much time on social media for my own well-being in these times. It's a part of your business too, probably. It is. I know. I still need like a timer or something because I get sucked in. It's like a black hole. But I see a common issue of lack of purpose. And I think that's why certain people are kind of like acting out, if you will, especially like, you know, screaming into this void that is like Twitter specifically. So when you find yourself, because it kind of ties back into like surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals or like where you want to be. So if you surround yourself with very successful people, then you're more likely to be successful in your own right. And then if you surround yourself with people that are, you know, kind of drowning in negativity, then you're going to find yourself there as well. So So when you find that you're in a situation where you're, you are surrounded with the wrong type of people and you have a lack of purpose, like mm-hmm. how do you get someone out of that? How do you find like, or at least start on a path of fulfillment and kind of like separate yourself from negative influences? Yeah. If, I, if I've got you right, what you're asking is like, how do you help someone else that's like Yeah, that? I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that can be tough because the fact is, is you can't really make anybody do anything. Believe me, I've tried. It doesn't Mm -hmm. work very well. Mm -hmm. Lots of failures there. But the way that I've seen it work the best is the power of influence. And you know, there's so many great books about that. I mean, like you, you are an influencer. And all that we can do is, I'm of course, you believe in the power of prayer and the spiritual things. You know, I believe in that so much. Mm -hmm. Pray for that person and then find ways to create what we call positive neuroassociative anchors which is just like planting little seeds in their heart, just positive things, positive things. Because the best way to help change somebody's sense of purpose, like, you know, what they're for, what their life is all about, you know, their self-esteem, their sense of self-worth is to give them love. You make little touches. Just yesterday, I was working with someone who has, has been estranged from their sister. Mm-hmm. And she was asking me, you know, what do I do about that? And I was like, you know, first thing you got to do is give relationships, good, healthy, loving relationships are first and foremost a place to give. So give positive things. Then next is find out what they love or if they're in a bad place, what they used to love. Mm-hmm. Find a way to connect you know, a sense of their purpose in life with something wonderful that they can be useful for. 
I still remember when I was in kindergarten, yeah, a little bitty guy. And this guy came in and had these new wooden toys. And he's like, I need three strong boys to help me carry these wooden toys. And they were like little wooden trains and stuff. And he picked me. And I remember I felt so great because I, you know, I had a purpose. So another thing to do is give somebody a good job to do. Tell them you need their help. And then just keep investing in them, asking them, making touches, you know, calling them, sending them text. And, you know, we live in a world now where it's easier than ever to get a hold of people. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Try to like take the positive route instead of like forcing a horse to drink, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And make just, just little deposits like, you know, like money in the bank. Just keep depositing in their love bank. Mm-hmm. That's the way to do it. And of course, by you demonstrating your own sense of standard and leadership, you know, you're leading a positive life, which will create a realm of attraction. You know, it'll pull them to, mm-hmm. which is the same advice I give to couples who are in trouble. You know, the best thing, let's say, a an estranged couple can do is one person live a great life. The other person will go, wow, that's attractive. I'm going to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways to move, let's say, a, a relationship forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the hard thing. Because it's like when you're, again, when you're surrounded by a specific energy, like it starts to kind of affect like the way that you might be like influencing or trying to like sway people. Because I consider myself like a pretty positive person. But if I spend like too much time online or talking to like certain, you know, arguing with strangers, which is never recommended, then all of a sudden I'm like, well, that's not like usually an approach I would take. And like, why am I here? And it's because of, you know, what I'm choosing to surround myself with. So true. Um, And now this is where good, healthy boundaries, mm -hmm. having the ability to say no Mm -hmm. and refuse, you know, just like on my way, you know, driving the other day, you know, this guy cuts me off and, you know, he's making these hand gestures. I don't know if he spoke sign language or what, but I understood a couple of things that he flashed me. I could have got entangled in that, but you know, I just said, no, no, thank you. You know, here's my boundary. No, thank you. It's not worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to intermesh my energy and let that to contaminate me. Mm-hmm. And so having the, a great ability to say no, whether it's how we use our time or we entangle with some, you know, for lack of a better term, internet troll, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's just not worth it because they're not listening anyway, right? No, they're not. It's just everyone talks about like these echo chambers of like confirmation. So it's like whatever your belief system is like that you only are like following and agreeing with people that are echoing like your same ideologies. And anyone that says anything else like has to immediately be like shunned outside of the conversation. I think the other dangerous thing that comes with like lack of purpose or fulfillment, and I see it a lot with college campuses, is a lot of these people, and I think most people are very empathetic, right? Like a lot of people do want to feel, do want to like do the right thing. And then if you don't really know what your why is or what your philosophies are, it's very easy to to take on someone else's without question, especially if they like pull on your heartstrings enough. Yeah. So I guess like for me, what I see in academia is a lot of people that are taking these kids that don't really know who they are just yet because they're young, right? And they're filling their minds with like this woke culture. And I think woke culture, like again, I think it started in a good place, like with good intentions, but it's very aimless. And now it created a bit of like a monster, like a kid that you, you know, never told no to. So I'm from like a psychologist perspective, like what's your take on the woke culture? Can we go back? Like how do we kind of undo what's been done? Yeah, you know, and uh, this, I have very specific opinions about this woke idea. I mean, just mm-hmm. even think about that word woke. I mean, mm-hmm. Who doesn't want to be woke? And so mm-hmm. there's an automatic forced presupposition of emotion. 
And we typically call that virtue posturing, right? Mm -hmm. Because, oh, you're not woke. I mean, automatically, doesn't that feel bad? Mm -hmm. And, you know, always, it's, it's always about emotion before it's logic. Even when I train salespeople and influencers, you know, you have to train them how to really connect with someone's emotion first. So a lot of this wokeness is because we've been uh, really gearing up for three or four decades about teaching people in what we call the postmodernism movement, that there's no real standards in life. There's no absolute sense of truth or right or wrong, mm -hmm. but that we are individually responsible for that ourselves. And so you take that, you kind of unanchor people from a sense of, hey, you can do this and there are consequences or you can't do that because of those consequences. And now what are we left with? It reminds me of that movie, Fight Club. Did you ever see that movie? Love that movie, yeah. Yeah, oh, so good. So if you can remember, one of Brad Pitt's famous lines in that movie was he, when he was talking about why people were so angry and why they needed the Fight Club was because everyone in that generation was promised that they were going to be someone special, that they would all be rock stars, that they would all be multimillionaires. And then when they grew up and they realized it wasn't just going to happen, it wasn't just going to be handed to them, people were angry. Mm -hmm. I believe this generation, the one that we have right now, I think they're good, but I think they're suffering mm -hmm. and because they feel a sense of loss because of that. And so they're looking for something, a way to redeem that. And so, you know, any little spark that can come down and virtue posture to them and make them feel like they're being cheated to make them feel like, oh, wait a minute, I don't want to be wrong. It ignites this fire that we see like in these protests and riots, you know, in some of these places happening around the country. It's mm -hmm. some, it, I believe it's their attempt to really feel something, to try to right a wrong that they feel because they haven't been anchored. Mm -hmm. So they're floating around in this place, just desperately trying to find footing about what's right and wrong. Because inside, if we haven't been taught those lessons, our sense of well-being is going to be terrible. I mean, we are the most blessed, you know, culture in the world that's ever been. Mm -hmm. We're some of the most miserable people too. Mm -hmm. I was reading, you know, about suicide. I mean, you know, it's just the statistics on suicide are just crazy. Oh, high. it's gone through the roof too right yeah. now too. Especially with COVID, it's like up like 900%. Mm -hmm. It's now one of the top five leading causes of death in the country. And it's created, you know, now the statistic for life expectancy has gone down. Oh, yeah. People are killing themselves. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it's because people don't have a foundation of who they are. Because anchors of morality, anchors of right help us develop you know, identity statements. And the most powerful force of human mm -hmm. psychology is identity, who I think I am and who I think I'm supposed to be. And our culture today thinks they're supposed to be a victim. They think mm -hmm. that they have been victimized because of this vacancy. And what do we do? As a victim, like we talked about a moment ago, you can either lie down and take it or you can rise up and try to force your way through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening. It's not based on logic. It's not based on reasoning. It's based on pure emotion. Mm -hmm. These people are hurting. So the answer to that is, you know, teaching, man, that takes a while. It's like planting a tree. You got to plant seeds and you got to let it grow. But before a lot of these trees can grow, they're being burnt down. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate part too. It's especially as like new parents. So we are trying to kind of figure out the influence that schools do have, right? Because they're out of your care for like a big chunk of the day. So like what is being reinforced when you're not around? And Oh yeah, that's I big. so big. It's so crazy. And so we were at one time, I hate to even admit this now, but we were looking at a Montessori school that started at 18 months and we thought it was harmless, right? We thought it was going to be like a, a leg up, like he's mm -hmm. going to have this opportunity to grow. And then we talked to a couple of people who are like, oh, you don't really want to 
have your kid away half the day that early because like they're in this high theta state and then everything is just downloaded and you don't know what is being downloaded when you're not there. Yeah. And um, a lot of times kids don't even know that stuff's being downloaded. I love no. it that you said theta state because that is so important. It's like opening up the program, right? You mm-hmm. know, things get programmed all day long. It's incredible. Yeah. So Another some people might think social it's, media is so important. Totally. Yeah. And people might think like that sounds woo woo, but it, it's actually, it's neuroscience, right? So it, it is. is a real brainwave. And when you are in that state, it's like, especially at that age, you don't have the filter of like, is this true? Is this not true? There's no critical thinking right. yet because that part of the brain doesn't exist. So you just absorb right. it as fact. It's right. And that, man, that is, that's such an important stage. I believe God created that stage for us so that we can learn, so we can be anchored. I mean, language, mm-hmm. so many things, right, happen. It's just this beautiful process. But when left unchecked, you know, even people who think that they're doing what's right, they'll teach, you know, our children their perspective. Right. Of this woke idea. Mm-hmm. And some of that is a deep, deep programming that's so hard to undo. Yeah. So when it comes to like, I guess, glorifying victims, it's... I think it's a lot more complicated because, so for example, in one of the schools we were looking at, like one kid came out as trans, like very young, and they had a coming out party in the whole class just for this one kid. And while the intentions I think are great and beautiful, right? Like they wanted that kid to feel accepted and, you know, be able to explain their story. I find that the other side of it that no one's talking about is all the other kids that are, you know, biologically normal, if you want to call it that, like for lack of better words. And they're like, well, why don't I get a party? Right. So then it's like, well, maybe if I do something that's out here, that's outside of the norm, whatever it might be, then maybe I'll get like that special attention because we all want love and attention and acceptance. You see someone getting it for being different, then you have to be different. Or if there's a kid that like, you know, they have a bad home life, and that's like the reason why like they don't have to like perform the, the same as their peers. And it's, well, maybe I can come up with something too. And then that will make me right. exceptional. So I find that like for a lot of people, it's easier to be exceptional in one, you know, in the victim arena than it mm-hmm. is to excel. And then also I think the issue too is like, why isn't it okay to be in the middle of the bell curve, right? Like why isn't it okay to just have like a solid job that brings home like, you know, whatever the national like averages and have a loving family and like why isn't that enough anymore those are all good questions i want to say this whatever is celebrated is programmed Mm -hmm. whatever in our mind is celebrated so we're looking at a spectrum of intensities again going back to emotion if you Mm -hmm. want to really program yourself flood it with emotion Mm -hmm. and so if i'm a kid in a classroom seeing somebody being celebrated for whatever Mm -hmm. reason that is creating a program Mm-hmm. And with that program, I'll always create a conclusion, a self-conclusion, going all the way back to the book, you know, emotional intelligence, whatever is then gets programmed within this conclusion will either be positive or negative. It'll either be temporary or permanent. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these kids are creating a negative permanent self-conclusion, like, wait a minute, I'm not good enough if I'm not, if I don't find something unique, mm-hmm. something special. And, you know, you can tell this by adolescence. I mean, you probably even know this from your baby, right? If a baby cries, it learns. It doesn't take it long to learn. Right. I get my needs met. And so these kids are learning. I will get my needs met. I'll be made to feel special if somehow I can exaggerate some type of uniqueness or problem or victimization about me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sad thing is, is from those children's perspective, they don't think that they're feigning. They don't think that they're faking or posturing. 
And this is another thing that social media is teaching us is that now we are so emotionally raw and open, the gates are open, that if we don't post something that where we get a number of likes, mm-hmm. well, then we create a negative self-conclusion. There's something wrong with me because people didn't like my post. Mm-hmm. And then if somebody thumbs down our post or whatever it may be, holy smoke, people have committed suicide over this stuff. It's crazy yeah, how just wow. raw and just, you know, suffering, so much suffering, Candace. And I mean, it just, from a psychologist's perspective and a coach's perspective, it just, it breaks my heart. Yeah, it's really sad. And it's like, I hope the pendulum starts swinging in the other direction, but it's going to take like a whole, unfortunately, I think a whole new generation to kind of come in of parenting to fix Even them. Even one of the founders of Facebook won't even let his kids on Facebook because he realizes the monster that can be created. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So many many wonderful things, but also just, I mean, the power of their self-image is just crazy. And anytime we put that on stage and allow, give somebody the power to validate us, we also Mm -hmm. give them the power to invalidate us. And that's Mm -hmm. what's happening a lot. People just are so afraid of being invalidated. And it plays into this thing like, you know, mob mentality. Oh, yeah. A lot of these things, even these protests that maybe start off with just a good intent or, you Mm -hmm. know, peaceful all it takes is one person virtuing, signaling this idea that, wait a minute, if you're really woke, then you're going to throw this brick. Mm-hmm. And then it just spreads. And it's, you know, people find themselves caught up in things that they would never have done otherwise. Yeah, that psychology is always really interesting to me. I just ordered the Madness of Crowds book. It's on my queue, so I like need to read it. But it talks about how like you can go into something really well intended, but when you're surrounded by so many people and there's this big crowd, then all of a sudden like psychology just completely changes and you're no oh, longer yeah. in control at all. It's incredible. That's why, you know, another great thing that I learned from Tony, he has this phrase called proximity is power which means the people you allow to surround yourself with, they will, you will become. I mean, it's almost like we don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. So picking your friends, picking your influences, all of these things are so important. Because if you want to be a positive person, surround yourself with positive people and you'll be one of those people. You want to be a millionaire? Same thing. You want to have a great life? Same thing. You must, you must surround yourself with those people. And see, that's another effect of our virtual world is we are isolating ourselves and our only outlet for self-evaluation is like social media. Mm -hmm. And so these things are influencing us like nothing else in the world. Instant influence, instant persuasion, instant victimization. Mm -hmm. It's such a powerful force. Yeah, that's a great point. So I want to kind of segue into... So what I see, the whole woke culture is kind of like aversion to pain. And then a podcast I recently heard you on, you were talking about being forged in fire. So those things are have a huge difference, right? They're opposite sides of the coin. So I guess what has your time with the Navy SEALs taught you and the importance of the importance of struggle, I should say? Yeah, well, I mean, they in the military they have something they call foxhole relationships, which means when you go through something hard, it forges a connection and a sense of belonging and togetherness like nothing else can. And we can create this. I mean, we go through this stuff all the time. I mean, why do you know people who riot or people who are on the Republican side or the Democrat side? Why do they? stick together. You even see this with sports teams. It's because we create, and this is a part of our innate nature as people. We must create battles for ourselves to go through. So people like the Navy SEALs or any elite team, they know how to utilize that force. So they put themselves through rigorous, very hard training. 
and they realize something. You can't just do that once. You can't just go and become a Navy SEAL by passing the entrance exam at BUDS. You have to constantly train, 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 train. Because the fact is, is that, you know, the resistance and the bombardment of life, I mean, you know, even in a good environment, in a good culture, it happens all the time. And so the best businesses, the best marriages, the best relationships, the best teams, they must constantly fight that natural degradation of mentality to get themselves into, number one, a great mindset. Mm -hmm. And then number two, make sure that they're in a great place of growth. And so, for instance, Navy SEALs, what makes them the best, you know, most elite teams on earth of any team on earth? It's because of their training. And then it's also because of a tribe. They have each other. You know, there's something, again, like that proximity we just talked about. There's mm -hmm. something about that that you just can't get alone. Even the best of people are never self-made. I believe that's why marriage is so sacred. I believe that's why, you know, friendships are so sacred. We've got to put ourselves around those type of people. Mm-hmm. So if you're saying that people kind of need like that struggle or like that fight, like what are some like healthy outlets for that? Good. Well, it's growth. I mean, you know, if we could start from the top and go down, it would be for us to choose a pathway of study or some type of experience that we put ourselves through continually. I mean, it could be something as simple as going to the gym and mm. having a personal trainer and then, you know, working through the resistance and, you know, growing each and every day. One of my favorite sayings from some of the SEALs that I've learned from is that clones always die, meaning you cannot stay who you were today. Tomorrow, you must kill that person, you know, that clone of yourself yesterday, and you must become a better version of that person. It also means don't try to be like anyone else. You have to find your unique thing. You know, with a cult of personality like Tony Robbins, you know, I have people come to me all the time. They want to use Tony's words. They want to do Tony's stuff. And it's just all surface. Mm -hmm. But they're searching. They don't know what to do. But they try to become a clone of someone like Tony, and it never works. They have to find their own unique bit, their own mm -hmm. unique set of struggles. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, I've developed several different events. And that's why Tony has events. And, you know, the best life coaches in the world and influencers have events. I've got one specifically. It's called Undisputed Mastery, mm -hmm. where we basically, one of my partners is a world champion boxer. And we invite men out to Vegas, the fighting capital of the world, and we spend three and a half days of intense immersion. We turn decades of transformation into days because you can do that with emotional intensity mm -hmm. in the right, the right type of direction. And we bring them out there and you know, we have them box, we have them move, we put them through all kinds of very rigorous things for them to discover what we call emotional scenes. I do the same thing with a very specific training called Principled Savage, which is to help us find the principles so that we can really have an unmatched skill level, savagery. And this is where we take people through a course in Texas that me and some other guys developed, which basically is the very same training they teach the top, top Navy SEAL teams. It's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Develop something called AQ, which is adaptability quotient. The ability to make great decisions and retain the integrity of our skill sets when under pressure. Because it's one thing to be able to make a decision when there's no pressure. But if you're really under pressure, that's when it counts. Mm hmm. I love that you do like these very like stereotypical, like manly things. I think it's like, it's really important because you have the two sides, right? Like you have this psychologist coach, which is talking about feelings and concerns and like some things that people would say are like, you know, 
feminine or whatever, because that's like our culture. And then you're also like a black belt and you train with the Navy SEALs and you have this really cool, like that principal savage, like there's two sides, right? So you can be both. And I think it's so important to not apologize for being a man and to like lean into like masculine traits that I feel like need to be exercised as like a mom of a boy. Like I've been listening to a ton of podcasts and reading a lot about how to kind of like raise a boy and like the importance of not snuffing out that masculinity, which today is like a bad word, right? We're not allowed to say that. Yeah. I mean, for with you as an influencer, like you are, that is so important, Candace. I'm so glad to hear you say that mm-hmm. because, you know, men and women, of course, they're equal. Of course, they're both awesome, but they can be different. Just right. the forces of masculinity and femininity. I mean, we have to embrace that. Mm-hmm. And that's another big pain and area of suffering in our culture today. Mm-hmm. I think unprecedentedly in our culture, we feel ashamed for just being us because mm-hmm. we're supposed to be because all this virtue posture, we're supposed to be something else. And it doesn't matter to me who you are. Just embrace that instead of being shamed for who you are. Oh, exactly. Anytime there's a teaching that teaches shame, we know automatically they've got it wrong. Mm -hmm. I like that you said that. Because like so many people, I got in like a little bit of trouble on Twitter the other day because it was right after like the VP debate and all I saw on my feed. It's easy to get in trouble with that stuff. It really (laughs) is. And I constantly keep getting hung up there and I like need to like stop taking the carrot. But Everyone was saying like Pence was like mansplaining. And I was like, I just hate that word because you couldn't do that to a woman, right? You couldn't like create like the opposite, like a feminine version of like anytime a woman talked to you in a way that you didn't like. And I was like, it's just interrupting. That's all it is. I was like, what would you call it if like a woman was interrupting me? It was just interrupting. So I just hate like we have to keep drawing like these lines of division because I was reading this book. It's called The End of Gender by Dr. Deborah So. Hmm. And it's really, really good so far. I'm like about halfway, but where was I going with this? Oh, she was saying that the true like sexism is saying that we have to be identical to be treated equal. Wow, that's good. Right? So it's like we can acknowledge that there are differences between men and women and whatever you want to call it, gender roles, but that doesn't take away that you still have to like respect me because I'm a woman and I have to respect you because you're a man and we should have, you know, equality of opportunity and not necessarily outcome. I thought that was like so powerful. And I'm like, it's the exact opposite of what I'm seeing play out right now. So yeah, isn't it something which tells us that there is injury involved in the agenda? Mm -hmm. People are searching for something. They're trying to figure it out. And I don't blame them for that, but man, they've got so much of that wrong. Mm -hmm. And you can see this, you you know, me being a faithful Christian man, you know, it's, there's so much shame out there for just saying what you believe in, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the saddest things that I find is that we've lost the ability to disagree and still treat each other with respect. And so we've become so overly victimized in our identity as a victim in our culture that if someone disagrees with me, it means that they hate me, mm-hmm. or that they have some kind of innate character flaw, like they must be racist or misogynist or, or something. I mean, we've just got so good at throwing those terms around and people really, they it's such a fear tactic and mm-hmm. it's really bully if you think about it at its worst and sad. There's so much injury happening because of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's like, there's so many other causes to focus your attention on, right. That are like real. And mm-hmm. I definitely want to spend some time talking about your nonprofit. So it's really interesting that so many people pay attention to stuff that I consider just to kind of like be bullshit, right? Like 
the whole like mansplaining, the fact that mansplaining took up the entire news cycle for 24 hours to me is ridiculous. Like there's so many other things that we should be focusing like attention on. So you have like a really incredible nonprofit that's helping with human trafficking, child trafficking. And A, I want to know why is this not in the news more? right? Like when I started, I got into like a little bit of a hole and just like research hole and like looking at different nonprofit companies and like the statistics and they're staggering. So if you kind of want to, I guess, enlighten the listeners on just some of the statistics that are real and then kind of why is this not in the news? Sure. Thank you so much, Candice. Yeah, it is. It's something that's so near and dear to my wife and my heart. I mean, you know, there are more slaves today in the world than there's ever been before. You can go to the globalslaveindex.org, globalslaveryindex.org, and you can look up these statistics. And this is an older statistic from 2016. But in 2016, our best count was that there was over 40 million slaves, probably now pushing more than 50 million, which just to give wow. us some context, that's more than the entire population of Canada. I mean, it's incredible. There are more slaves today than ever before. When I heard that, I was just floored. And I was like you. I was like, oh, no, come on. And mm-hmm. I went and you know, I checked it out, and there is. Oh, it's so terrible. You know, and out of those, you know, 71% of those are women. And this is sex slavery. This is labor slavery. This is organ harvesting. This is forced marriage. You know, they estimate about 16 million uh, children are forced into marriage or, or children or women. I'm counting that even teenagers. And it's just staggering, these numbers. And when you consider this, about every two minutes, just in our, in our country, the United States of America, every two minutes, a child is forced into some type of sex, into some type of slavery. Every two minutes, it's staggering. And when you consider that, I think that most people, kind of like maybe like you and I were, it's just the reality of that hasn't caught up to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to the news, we know if it bleeds, it feeds, Right. And with this whole woke idea that, you know, people are just, they're taking the bait of so many things. And this is, takes a lot of logic. It takes a lot of soul searching. And uh, when we face these types of facts, we have to ask ourselves, now what? Now what am I going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And when I heard these statistics, I had to face myself. You know, I got on my knees and started praying. My wife and I did. And we thought we have to do something. And so I formed an organization called Operation Rescue Children or Orc. And what we do is we support already existing, you know, fantastic teams like justiceventures.org. They're our parent company that we funnel all of our donations through, completely legitimate, 5013C, uh, tax credit, all that stuff. But what we do is we support and train teams like with the Navy SEAL training. One guy came to me and said, Keith, we need your help. We're getting slaughtered. More and more traffickers are being trained by organized crime syndicates, by terrorist organizations. And a lot of times the teams on the ground who are helping disrupt trafficking rings are just natives to, let's say, Nepal or Thailand or Mexico or wherever, or even here in the States. And they're just, they were getting slaughtered, literally. So we come in and absolutely for free, we train teams like Love Justice, Justice Ventures, Operation Underground Railroad, absolutely no cost. And we just help their guys learn more about how to survey, interrupt, arrest. And we teach them tactical processes. Mm-hmm. We also come in and help the operators uh, deal with psychological issues too. For instance, you know, when we're there and we get to break into a place, maybe where there's, they're holding human slaves and uh, we dispatch the bad guys, we arrest them. You know, we can feel really good about what we do, but all you have to do is look over in the corner and you see some 
four-year-old little girl who's still bleeding because yeah. she was just raped. You know, that's the trauma that these guys have to deal with. And so we come in and help them deal with that so that they don't lose heart, so that they don't lose focus. Because it would be easy to think, wow, what difference can I make? I can't make a difference in these 50 million people, these staggering number. But we can make a difference for that little girl mm-hmm. and that little boy and that other one. And everyone that we help intervene and save is a life that we can change. So that's what we're doing. That's so beautiful. And so I don't know if you want to kind of get into like the whole issue with like borders. So I have a friend that works like as border patrol down towards Arizona. Mm. And the things that he tells me that he sees are truly like awful, like kids getting trafficked. And it's a very real issue. So you see a lot of politics right now that are trying to like have completely open borders, right? And abolishing things like ICE which help directly with human trafficking. So I guess like, do you have any of like the data on that? Like, can you like enlighten the listeners as to like, that's like a real issue that kids are being trafficked across the border and like they're there for a good reason. Like it's not just because we're, you know, xenophobic or whatever the other agenda is. Yeah. You can go again to Mm globalslaveryindex.org and you can look up a lot of these stats. And it's not just like with the border with the United States and Mexico, it's the border between Nepal and China and Nepal and India, and mm-hmm. all around the world. What happens is that traffickers depend on crossing borders, whether they're state borders or national borders, because when they do, it really complicates and it raises their ability to get away and keep that victim by about 90%, mm-hmm. depending on the country that's in. And so the reason this is so important is that we must have checks and balances. For instance, a lot of our teams that are out there on the ground, they rely on border patrol check stations and airports and airport staff and all those people to be able to be trained to spot the signs of someone who is actively being trafficked. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of great things that people can do to educate themselves to try to recognize it. For instance, you can go to the airport, let's say in Atlanta, which you know, you wouldn't think it, but it's one of the biggest traffic spots in the world, not just in Georgia, not just in the United States, in the world. The airport can, is. Yeah, the airport. The wow. Yeah. And you can look on the trams, you know, the trains and all that stuff that go around Dallas airport, same way. And, you know, they'll look for this and it's, it's a beautiful movement. It's a good thing. But that's why it's so important because without these checks and balances, without eyes to see and hearts to care, without intervention, these guys are just have free reign. Mm-hmm. And no matter what someone's politics is about border patrol and immigration, I mean, this alone is reason enough because of this. You want to talk about a pandemic. You want to talk about a global infection. This alone is a reason why we should keep a lookout on all of our borders. Mm-hmm. This by itself. I, I mean, Just imagine if that was our children. When we oh, want- I agree. Can you imagine? And I've heard stories about that. People who were against immigration type politics, right, being able to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, why didn't you stop my child from being transported across the border? And then people are like, I'm sorry, ma'am, our hands are tied because of politics. Mm-hmm. What a tragedy that is. It makes me like get emotional just thinking about it. And I think for me, like I've heard about human trafficking and child trafficking when I was younger. I didn't necessarily believe it was as big of an issue as it truly is until I became a parent. And then I think you hyper-focus on what can go wrong so you can try to protect your child as best as you can. Um, And it's really just 
it's unbelievable. Like the number is unbelievable. And I think that's part of the hangup for some people. So I highly encourage them to like do their own research to find these statistics and get yeah. involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't take our word for it. I mean, please, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this, please go look it up. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you if you do. I had to. Right. Like, yeah, same. It yeah, it's staggering. I just, it's, it will blow your mind and hopefully break your heart. So I've had this question from a couple of girlfriends where they were like convinced they saw someone that might have been being trafficked, like a, a child. What do you do in that situation as a civilian with no training? Like what's the best way to help somebody? Because I know their specific fear was like, oh, well, what if it's not? And then I, I was like, well, then they just, you know, then it's an inconvenience. But what if it is? So like what are some tips, I guess, like to look for and then like actionable steps to take in the moment? Yeah, great question, Candace. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, the first thing is the mindset of thinking, wow, I need to be able to observe and be aware. Even if someone doesn't feel safe intervening themselves and, you know, let's say for you, if you're traveling or something, you know, I wouldn't recommend that. Mm-hmm. But you go, like say, if you're at an airport, you go to the airport, just even the ticket people, the people at the desk, you just go to these places and you say, hey, you know, hey, you know, you see that girl over there? And what we're looking for is disheveled, you know, some of the signs that we typically say is look for disheveled, you know, kind of like a lost going around. A lot of times these girls will be by themselves, but they'll have spotters watching. Because oh. you know, if they do get intervened, if they do get caught, you know, they don't want their handlers to get arrested along with them. Because, you know, a handler, they handle lots of girls. It's almost like, you know, just almost like a, what do you call it? Like a conveyor belt thing. Mm-hmm. You know? they, just, they just pass one girl, you know, from one handler to another and they have these spotters. So the spotters will go away because they know if they lose that girl, there's five more that they'll send through. Mm-hmm. That's why the business of human trafficking is so big. I mean, they're making more money on this than they are drugs or or you know, illegal firearms or anything. Because you can sell a girl over and over and over and use her up. And then when people no longer want to have sex with her, they'll take her to a labor camp or they'll, they'll take her kidneys and then let her die somewhere. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Even actors like Sylvester Stallone in his latest Rambo movie you know, featured this kind of deal in there. And that he was pretty accurate in the depiction of that in the movie. I encourage you guys to watch it if you haven't. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is look for that. You know, somebody who's disheveled, someone's clothes that just doesn't seem right. You know, a girl that may be scared, you know, by herself. And this would be more of like a teenager profile. If it's a younger person, you know, just look for, you know, incessant crying, trying to get away, you know, overbearing behavior from either a man or a woman. You know, some of their tactics is, you know, it's not a manhandler. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a woman who has somehow, some way been roped into this stuff themselves for fear of her own safety or her family's safety. There's all kinds of tactics. Mm-hmm. But yeah, go to, like if you're in an airport, go to that person, observe as much as you can about the person in question. You know, who is she with? What is she wearing? You know, what deal is she sitting at? Where did it look like she was going? And just report it. If we get enough of these reports, if we get enough of this being communicated, you know, authorities will have to act. Mm-hmm. And I guess, so... One of the statistics that's kind of been alarming with COVID is like the spike in child abuse and like online predators. So how does that play into the trafficking? Because for me, I feel like that's a gateway drug, if you will, right? Is like a kid's cell phone. And then what I was reading, I think it was the Child Rescue Coalition because they do a lot with like the tech side of, you know, content right? and like online predators. I'm trying to figure out how to tie that in. I guess, what are things to look out for with a kid that has access to technology, especially when they're doing like at-home distance learning and they are on their phone like more than ever? 
Sure. Well, I mean, the smart thing, another great question. The smart thing is for parents to be involved in that and to make sure you do not give your kids just untethered access. You know, we should always be monitoring that. Now, I don't care how old the kid is. Always be monitoring that because bullying and baiting happens before you know it. One of the biggest epidemics of this in our country is in high, you know, social economic class girls that get dragged into this, let's say, at a mall. You know, it's not just third world countries and it's not just poor people. A big thing, an epidemic, let's say, in Atlanta and Dallas is that, you know, girls will go to the mall and then they'll be kind of a beau or a pimp, really is what it is. And it's really a handler posing as some suave guy. And then they get connected with their friends and then, you know, they pay close attention and then they get the girl just to say yes to a small few things, go out on a date, get sexual favors, and then they trap them. And so they may not be trafficked at all. Sometimes kids are living a double life. They'll go to school, they'll have a semblance of a normal life, but then at night when they get the phone call, they're being pimped out into prostitution. It's slavery. Mm. And the parents never know, except for they see the kids' grades maybe start going down, they see signs of depression, cutting, changes in personality, changes in effect, changes in appetite, un, you know, bruising that the kid can't quite figure out how to talk to their parents about. Mm. So also monitoring where they go, understanding their friends and the parents of their friends. I mean, this is all parents' rights and this is what good parents should do. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, so many times parents are so busy and they're exhausted that they just give their kids free reign. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, just opening up the possibility of these bad things happening. Oh, it's scary. So we live in like what I would say is like a very like normal, cute, like safe feeling kind of town. And there have been like, I talked to moms specifically like that are, you know, out and about with like small children and they've like found themselves getting tailed by men. One of our close friends like had her kids in a shopping cart and someone tried to like literally just take them out of the shopping cart. I know. And it's like this stuff can happen anywhere. So I think it's really important for people to just kind of have like that situational awareness. It might sound like a little bit neurotic, but I mean, I can tell you right now, like I know at least five people that have gotten really close to like bad situations. Yeah. And situational awareness, that's a great phrase. And I always recommend parents take their courses online. You go to your local martial arts class. They'll Mm -hmm. have, a lot of them will have courses on this. Or just look up YouTube videos. There's so many great videos out there about this. There's no reason why we can't be educated. And then, you know, if possible, create like a mom coalition where we're checking up on the kids. You know, you can do this through, you know, schools, you know, uh, like parent teacher stuff, you know, any kind of little mom's club or dad's club or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. You know, bring these issues up. You know, I mean, it's a very important thing. And mm-hmm. situational awareness just means my face isn't in my phone. I'm up and I'm looking around. I know where I parked. And the posture of, let's say, a victim, predators look for people who just aren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And that's who they'll go for, you know, nine out of 10 times, as opposed to someone who's distracted or overwhelmed, carrying the groceries and the baby. And there's all kinds of very important things that you can do. Mm-hmm. You know? And there's lots of that information online that I recommend that people look up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one is responsible for that except for ourselves. We have to be responsible for our own safety. No one is coming to save us in that moment. Mm-hmm. The police can't be everywhere at once. You know, your husband can't be there all at once. You can't be everywhere with your kids at once. And so we've got to create ways 
to close that gap in that situational awareness as much as we can. And I think it's also training your kids too, right? So I was raised by like a, so California highway patrol dad and my uncle was a sheriff. So like I had very like big life lessons very early on. Like as soon as I understood language, like they were teaching me like what to look out for, what's okay and not okay. And I have these talks with like Eric, who is a total civilian family, right? No one's in law enforcement. And he's like, your dad told you what at what age? And I was like, honestly, I feel like that protected me through college, through high school. Like I always was like looking under my car. I wouldn't walk through a parking lot, like unless I knew where my car was, I had my key ready. That's good stuff right there. You know what I mean? Like it's things that I thought were normal to teach a kid. And then after talking to Eric, like, well, when do we talk to our son about X, Y, or Z? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, what do you mean? Like you have to like also make them aware. And in my mind, as soon as a kid understands language, it's very important to tell them like what adults are allowed to, you know, be where, you know, touch them in bad places. Like they need to know these things so that they can tell you if something happens because otherwise they're not going to know. And then that adult is going to be able to influence them and say, it's fine. Like this is normal. As soon as your kid understands language, I like highly encourage parents to like teach them right and wrong. And And see, teaching and educating boundaries also boost esteem because I know, you know, where I have, where I exist, where my boundaries are in life, where my margins are. And when I, as early as we can, when we can know where I'm like, say where my space is, this is mine, then I have a greater chance of claiming that in Mm. the rest of life, whether it's business or relationships. But if people don't have firm boundaries, then they just get all enmeshed and they, you know, the result is they blame themselves when things go wrong. Mm-hmm. That's why so many, let's say, sexual abuse victims blame themselves when someone else perpetrates them because many times they haven't been taught that, wait a minute, that was wrong. No, that's what that person did to me. They're to blame. Mm-hmm. And when we internalize that kind of stuff, oh, it's just, you know, it's a terrible for that programming of our self-worth. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this was an amazing conversation. Do you want to just remind our listeners how they can support the nonprofit, where they can find you, anything that you're working sure. on? Well, thank you so much. Yes, Candace. And it's been my honor to be here. Thank you for having me on. Of course. And if people would just look up justiceventures.org and you can look there, you know, because of COVID, our funding has been down like 58%. Thankfully it's rising again, but just ask yourself, you know, if this was your child, what would you want someone to do? You know, at the very least that we can do is donate some money. And we always are looking for volunteers and people to do number one, educate yourself about trafficking for your own family safety, but then so that you can look out for other people. And then of course, the power of prayer, be praying about this. And if you get on that website and you donate, our lead guy's name is Adam. So if you want to donate, just please specify for Adam, Adams, or you can put ORC, O-R-C in that line, and then they'll know exactly what the funds go for. But anything that anybody wants to give, whether it's to our organization or any of the others out there, they're really top-notch organizations, especially the three that I mentioned, you can't go wrong. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have the time, please rate and review. And you can always hit subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. I hope to have you back.